Welcome to American Patchwork and Quilting Radio, your one stop for creative inspiration. We have a terrific hour of ideas and tips for you today, so let's get to it. Here's your host, Pat Sloan. Welcome to American Patchwork and Quilting's talk show. I'm Pat Sloan. I love being able to talk to somebody who's been in the industry a while because, uh, you know, when you've done any business for a while, there's a lot of changes with yourself and with the industry. And Sue Marsh is just delightful. Her company is called Whistle Pig, Whistle Pig Creek Productions. And you have to love somebody whose name sounds like that. So, Sue, thank you for being here. I'm happy to be here, Pat. Now I'm going to assume, and I know that you're a very that you know your work is very whimsical. Um, do you just like to have fun? Is that where the, is that where that all came from? Yeah, that's exactly where it comes from. That's just the things that are inside of me. Mm-hmm. You you wouldn't know by looking at my house that that I draw silly characters. It's all very earthy and um, mountainy and natural. But all the stuff that I draw is uh, kind of silly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a lot of monsters and trucks with faces and just darling animals. Uh, and also, you told me, which I just can't even believe that you, that you did this. Really, you told me that you started your business on on April Fool, Fool's Day, April first. Yeah, well, <laughs> really, it wasn't really intentional. It just worked out that you know we went and filled out the paperwork, which takes about fifteen minutes to get home and going. Oh. It's April Fool's Day. Well, that's either a good omen or not. Right. <laughs> you know, that just cracks me up because I think I would have been like, oh, my gosh, no, not today. Tomorrow. <laughs> <That's> like... <laughs> oh, it, it actually ties in really beautifully with the kind of silly stuff that I do. So. I- I think so. I think, you know, you just have to say, okay, this woman has it all going if she can do that. Um, how did you get into this business. I mean, you've been in business since 1997. You know, how yes, did ma'am. you how did you start it back then? There were not that many people starting in 97. Well, that's correct. Um it actually it's kind of I morphed like a lot of people do. I've been sewing since I was 12. Mm-hmm. And um when I went to college, I decided that uh, I wanted to get the degree that actually paid the most because I'm <laughs> I'm quite I'm a shopper. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I picked my degree, which happened to be petroleum engineering. And so that was the hot degree, and everybody was getting, you know, high-paying jobs right out of the gate, and that's what I wanted. So I did that, not knowing what I was getting myself into. But then at the end of those, I was going to say four years, but it was a little longer than that for me, mm-hmm. um, the the business had imploded, just like it's doing right now. It's like everything kind of uh, fell apart, and so all of us freshly minted petroleum engineers had nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I had to pay my rent, so I got my sewing skills out, and I started going to craft shows and selling, uh, you know, the items that I made from other people's patterns. And then, like a lot of people, it I started modifying them and making them my own, and the next thing I knew, I had enough information on designing my own patterns. Mm-hmm. Well, while I, <laughs> while I was um, doing that, I had to get an actual real job, too. So I trained myself to do software development because that was a new industry back then. And if you had a, a modicum of skills, you could get a job. Mm-hmm. So I did. And for six or seven years, I did both. I did uh, the, pa- the pattern design and, and the uh, um, software engineering. And then I got a lot of encouragement at work 
to take my patterns to market. So I did that. And uh, that's basically, it's been a process, but a morphing process, but that's yes. how it did. It really does. And I find that a lot of um, people who, I, I worked computers 20 years, took me a little longer than you to uh, get out of it. Uh, so but there's a lot of creativity in that, particularly back then when it was a totally different kind of an industry. So I found a lot of creative people, woodworkers, musicians, you know, that was my staff. It was uh, pretty pretty interesting that you came from that engineering background and also do all this. Some people think that's not logical, but it is. It really but it is. is. Yeah, I yeah. find that there's a lot of creative, uh, there's architects, there's it, There's a lot of the quilting process that is very top-down. It, it's very similar to software design where you have to, you know, you have to create a skeleton, you have to have an idea, you have to build it logically, you have to be able to tell systems, in our case people, mm -hmm. exactly how to do something. So it's very, very similar to software development on a different yeah. level. Yeah, more fun. <laughs> oh, way more fun. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious, Sue, because um, you started at a certain point in time, like the Internet wasn't really very usable um, and and tools were different. The number of people in the industry was different. What is one of the biggest things you've you've noticed? What are the biggest differences you've noticed since starting and now? Oh, okay. There's a couple of things that um, have really had a huge impact on the industry itself. On a personal level, cell phones and GPS came into uh, into play. I mean, believe it or not, I was in the industry before cell phones were a common thing. But for mm -hmm. me personally, those two things had a great impact on how much fun I could have at market and not wander around Houston in the middle of the night going, where's my hotel? Right. As, <laughs> as far as the industry goes, um, I think... Number one, the e-marketing or e-commerce uh, mm -hmm. has had a huge impact on the industry. People can uh, work from home and create a business right out of their own home. And as far as recent stuff, I find social media has had more impact than anything, where mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of designers, really good designers out there who can't get to market, who can now sell their wares. And... Um, there's a, there's a lot of there's a downside where there's a lot of free stuff uh, available. So you increase your uh, your customer base, but you also increase your competition base. So you have to address that. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's had a huge impact. Yeah, it has, and, and it's easier to get into the business um, right. because all of the abilities, the graphics kind of things. Now there's so many tools that are user-friendly, whereas when we did it, you practically had to have a degree in order to draw uh, in a computer. It was oh, not yeah. easy. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. There's so many technical changes that have made my life so much easier. We used to paste pictures onto cardboard. But that was oh, the yeah. cover, our covers of our patterns. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you remember that, Pat? <laughs> yes, yes. My first ones were like that, too. Yeah. Oh, my God. Goodness. I mean, um, so many technical changes have made it so much easier and faster and better and cheaper and all those things. So let's talk about your designs because you do have, you have a wide variety of designs. It's not just, you know, the the super whimsical. Uh, but what what sort of draws you when you are doing some of your really whimsical pieces? How do you get that story going to develop the the pattern, the idea, whether it's your a single pattern or your fabric lines with RJR? 
Oh, first thing starts out, of course, with that that little piece of an idea of what you're going to do, like the theme. Uh, for example, I'm going to do alien. And so I get the theme going, and then I'll do pencil drawing of all these little characters. And, like, I don't know, three-quarters of the little characters that, that start out in pencil don't make it to the final drawing because there's always so many. And one turns into two and turns into three, turns into ten. And um, so once I decide which one of those little characters will fit the line, then I draw them into the computer. Mm-hmm. And um, then, then, then what decides the colors that they're going to be is I have a limited number of colors that I can work with because, mm-hmm. um, I, as you know, Pat, screen printing, you're limited to 15 or 18 colors. And so right. based on those colors, I start coloring them in. And uh, mixing and matching and make sure everything, all the colors balance, all they work together, et cetera. And then I do the layouts. So that's my process. Is uh, starts with a pencil drawing. I love that. You know, I I uh, do a race, like, <laughs> or you just sort of use the pencil drawings and just kind of keep drawing from them. Like, oh, well, I race a lot. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I don't use a pencil. So it's like if I draw something I don't like, I just sort of either redraw it or make weird stuff attached to it. To oh. Feel yeah. Yeah. Well, once they make it into the computer, I have a Wacom or a Wacom mm-hmm. tablet, and yeah. I literally layer my piece of drawn paper, and those are always, mm-hmm. always rough sketches. I draw that, uh, lay it on the computer, and trace over it with my uh, drawing pencil for my computer. Yeah. And then I clean it up. That's, that's how I work. So, but pencil drawings, oh my goodness, there's a racing. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should try pencil drawing. I just, I do most of mine right into the computer, so I don't do as much. I just do little bitty, like you, theme and then idea. So tell me about your latest fabric line that people can find in the stores right now. Okay, we just shipped Monster Trucks and Happy Halloween. And Monster Yay. Trucks, I think, went out in February, and Happy Halloween is, is going out now. And those are bright, whimsical, silly drawings. Monster Trucks are uh, trucks that are monsters, is yeah. how that worked out. And then mm-hmm. Happy Halloween, and little owls, and uh, kind of a traditional color. So they're, they're bright, but they're purples and oranges and greens and things like that. Um, and adorable pumpkins. Oh, thank you. <laughs> JR, for example, uh, my adorable pumpkin started out in all sorts of colors, mm-hmm. um, and they said that's not really that Halloweeny. No. <laughs> I was like, well, okay, let's make them orange. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. They'll be so, yeah. So we have back and forth there too, which which is fine. I mean, RJR gives me lots of uh, flexibility, but then mm-hmm. every once in a while they ask for a take back, you know. So uh, that's the nice thing about doing it in a computer is uh, changing colors is not a, a real, it's not a total redo of right. all your work. Yeah. So I couldn't, I couldn't actually do it any other way. I did a couple of lines back in the day where I mm-hmm. actually painted them mm-hmm. and went, yeah, I can't do this. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what it's going to look like when I start on how it's going to end up doing it. Well, Sue, we have about 30 seconds. I wanted to tell everybody that you were our April designer for the Aurifil, um Designer of the Month. Yes, and you, and you have a really gorgeous Aurifil thread kit. Uh, what colors are in it? Bright? Yes, bright colors. All, all of the, remember I was telling you we have 12 or 15 colors to work with? 
it's mm-hmm. those colors. It's the ones that I lay down on the computer, purple and blue and bright green and all sorts of, uh, so they match my fabrics actually perfectly. People can look for those in their favorite quilt shops. Yes. And yeah. then they can, do you have a newsletter at your website? I do have a newsletter at my website, and we, you can sign right up for it, wpcreek.com. And yeah, uh, we'll, we'll be happy to send you a newsletter. Yeah, it's right up at the top, folks, so you'll see it. Thank you, Sue. Thanks, Pat. This was a, this was gobs of fun. Yep. <laughs> Talk to you later. <laughs> Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Choose from more than 100 of your favorite patterns from American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilts and More, and Quilt Sampler, all available online. Buy downloadable patterns today at apqshop.com. Join the One Million Pillowcase Challenge in March for the Ultimate Pillowcase Competition. Gather a team and compete in one of two categories during the month of March to make pillowcases, earn points, and maybe be crowned the Ultimate Pillowcase Champion. The top three teams in each category will be awarded cash prizes. Even if you're not forming a team, you can watch all the action with weekly voting and daily prizes. Visit allpeoplequilt.com backslash pillowcase madness for more information. Quilt along with us in 2017. Join our fourth annual quilt along by stitching a wall hanging, a throw, or a one block table topper, or all three projects. Visit allpeoplequilt.com backslash quiltalong for a list of participating bloggers and designers and to see photos of what staff members and other readers are sewing. Share your photos on social media by using the hashtag APQQuiltalong to join the fun. Follow American Patchwork and Quilting on Pinterest. To find ideas for bags, baby projects, pillowcases, storage and organization, and more, visit Pinterest.com backslash APQ Magazine to join the fun. Welcome back to American Patchwork and Quilting's talk show. I'm your host, Pat Sloan, and I have uh, Deborah Fisher here, who is an author and an artist, and she has a book called Quilt Giving, which is one of the things that she does. She's does many, many other types of creations, and her website is called Fish Museum and Circus. So, Deborah, how did you come up with the name Fish Museum and Circus? It just cracks me up. It is so cool. <laughs> Hi, Pat. Thanks for having me. Yes. Um, well, for me, the museum part is all of the kind of curated part, the my shop online, uh, my um, blog, everything that's kind of curated. And then the circus part is all that chaos that kind of goes on behind the scenes, everything that's going on in, in the studio. Um, so together, it kind of, for me, it's just encompasses everything. It's very fun. That's, uh, I, I love fun names. You know, that make us think, oh, you know, you, we need to know more about this person. <laughs> that's <so cool. laughs> So when did you when did you start doing art as as a business? Well, I really started off as a fine artist um, in the fiber textile field, but um, as a fine artist for many years, um, I did a lot of mixed media. But I 
uh, always have a, a fiber and textile sensibility. Um, and then when I, I got into quilting, when I started the Bright Hopes Collaborative Quilt Project um, back in um, 2002, and that's really how um, the business part of it took off. And it, it's taken a lot of different turns from there, um, but that's really where it started. So you had some reasons for sort of making quilts. You moved, and that sort of triggered some, uh, you know, learning about about a new place. What happened? Yes. So I um, I moved to Wisconsin for three months for an artist residency, and I had really never made a quilt before, although I had done a lot of sewing and different textile work. Um, and so when I went to Wisconsin, I took with me a quilt that actually my husband's aunt had made for us for our wedding many years ago. And when I put the quilt on the bed in Wisconsin, in this you know state that I had never been to, in a, a strange town, um, it really made it feel like home. And I thought, as soon as I put it on the bed, I said, okay, now now it feels like home. And I really started thinking about that concept of um, how a quilt really makes any place feel like home. And so that's how the Bright Hopes Collaborative Quilt Project started, was what if we made quilts for people who had no permanent home at all, and they could take this quilt with them wherever they went. And so then I asked my mother if she wanted to um, make some quilts, because she, I grew up watching her quilts. Um, and that's how it began. And uh, all these years later, we have um, we have a really great program. That's a really long time. You've been, you know, that's quite a long commitment. Um, what more than ten years? Yeah, it's been about fifteen now. Wow. 15, yeah. Now, tell you have a whole website for for that called brighthopes.org. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Tell me a little bit about how what's there and how it runs so we have three different programs we started off uh with our quilt giving program which was just about making quilts um to donate to people who were in some kind of temporary housing foster care homeless families living in shelters um and we do we've we've had a number of volunteers over the years and we have a a, a but pretty stable group of about 20, um, many of them who have been with us for all 15 years. Um, and then we started a quilt community program where we work with different groups in the, in the community. So we might do work with a scout troop for several sessions. We might um, do a local maker fair where people will come into our booth and sew with us. And oh, then those... It's really been an amazing um, experience because in one day we might sew with um, ages three mm-hmm. up to ages eighty, wow. and with with you know seventy five, a hundred people coming in and sewing. Some of whom have most of whom have never sewn before. Some of whom have never seen a sewing machine before. Um, and then we make these quilts that we donate through our quilt giving program. And then um, we have been about nine, ten years um, with our Quilt Works program, which um, offers these on-site quilting workshops in, um, well, right now we're at the Little Flower Children's Residence, which is um, uh, 
uh, out on Long Island, where we are, and it is um, a home for children ages 8 to 18, and we work with them and help them to make their own quilt because they are often moving around and not having a permanent home. Um, they'll go to foster care, they'll go to other family members, and then they'll come back um, to the children's residence. And so we've worked for about um, nine or ten years with them, um, with small groups of the kids there, and they make their own quilts. And that's been a really, um, really eye-opening and fascinating experience. Uh, th- this is a very large project that you're doing. Um, is Is it something that's kind of full-time for you, or do you manage to do it sort of like a side hustle? You know, I mean, it's like, this is a lot of work. It is. It's, um, I have, I have an amazing group of volunteers who, um, are very committed in, in a variety of ways. And they, Mm -hmm. we, we really pride ourselves on everybody kind of finding their niche of being able to do what they like to do. Um, and, it, it it varies depending if I'm very busy with my other work. Um, mm-hmm. This kind of gets, you know, put on the back burner a little bit. And then um, if, you know, when I have more time, um, more things happen. So it just, uh, you know. It varies. Yeah, it's it's varied. Um, but it's it's been in, incredibly um, rewarding. Oh, I mean, I just, it just gives me goosebumps. You know, it's a, it's a large effort and, and making a huge difference. Um, I love that you, you, you felt something and then wanted to let other people feel that. Um, do, do you take donations or is it more like you need to have people already sort of working with you? Um, well, we're very local. So Mm -hmm. we're, we're in Suffolk County. Really, it's Western Suffolk County, Long Island, in New York. So it's it's very local. We do uh, periodically get fabric donations, um, which uh, range drastically <laughs> from <laughs> unusable to fantastic. Um, <laughs> anybody who has done any kind of charity sewing knows that. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, we. You know, we obviously will take money of all right. of all sorts. They will yeah. help. They help us a lot with with our all of our programs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, so you're not actually accepting like quilts or you know finished quilts or quilt tops. We we don't. Um, we've yeah. kind of developed a system of doing it that seems to work for us. And there are so many organizations that will take quilt tops and finish quilts. And a lot of people will ask me that, and I will direct them to a variety of organizations. So um, That's we, great. We, yeah. Yeah. So, it's a, so I just want to be sure everybody understood. This is, you know, something very local to that area. If you live in that area, you know, they could – you know, maybe get involved, find out at your website. And you wrote a book full of 19 patterns that are fabulous for quilt giving. How did you come up with, you know, what would go in there? Well, I really wanted to highlight the three kinds of programs that we have for Bright Hope. So um, there are, there are some group quilts in the book. Um, There are 
that would be good for maybe a uh, community-type program. There are some simple quilts. Uh, we start our kids um, in the, the Quilt Works program at the Children's Residence with really very simple but striking-type quilts. Um, and we really like to have a lot of fun with the designs, but it's a balance between things that are really fun and interesting, but we also don't want to have uh, them to be too time-consuming because we mm -hmm. really want to be able to give them away. Right, right. Yeah, you don't want to – yeah, they're made to maybe showcase the fabrics. Right, right, and the color and the boldness. Um, so it just, you know, depending on, on what we're doing, it's um, – they're all different. Um, but we they're we fabulous try. everything <laughs> you. yeah you really put a beautiful effort into it because they aren't sort of every day they're a, they're more interesting than that and plus you have a lot of them that really pop an element so they sort of over like you have some that are oversized blocks that are really very graphically appealing um good job thank you <laughs> It's really it's the book is called uh, Quilt Giving by Deborah Fisher. So Deborah, tell me one or two other things that you do that you you know want to share with people. We have about a minute and a half. Well, um, all of my sewing work has kind of morphed into making um, sewing accessories, and I do a lot of ceramics right now. Um, and I have um, a, a shop uh, on Etsy where I sell. Uh, ceramic pin cushions, um, very whimsical um, animal pin cushions and a variety of different things. Um, they sell out extremely quickly, so there's actually not much on there right now. And if you want to find out more about it, you have to actually sign up for my email newsletter and get the um, uh, the times when listings will, will happen. Uh, it kind of a, took off in a very interesting way. So. Yeah like a little pop-up then, you know, when they're available, you just announce it and off they yes. go, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, yes, it's, it's, it's been a wild ride. It's another conversation maybe someday we'll have. Right. But <laughs> exactly. Well, Deborah, thank you so much for being here, and congratulations on such a beautiful book for an awesome program. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Pat. We'll be right back. Boost your sewing skills from start to finish with daily tips from the editors of American Patchwork and Quilting. Visit tips.allpeoplequilt.com for inspiration. This quilting tip brought to you by Moda Fabrics. Visit modafabrics.com or your local quilt shop to see the latest fabric collections. Three-ring binders are the perfect storage method for fabric panels. Simply fold each panel into a page protector and insert into the binder. They're easy to view and keep the panels easily accessible. Get two full years of American Patchwork and Quilting delivered right to your door for the price of one. That's a full year free. Every issue is packed with never-before-seen projects from top designers, detailed photography, complete materials lists, and easy-to-use pull-out patterns and quilting diagrams. Subscribe today at allpeoplequilt.com.
Take an ultimate shop hop tour of 11 top quilt shops. You'll find them all in the current issue of Quilt Sampler. Available now at your local quilt shop or on newsstands. Welcome back to American Patchwork and Quilting's talk show. I'm your host, Pat Sloan. Annette Plogg is the author of True Blue Quilts, and it's all about blue in in antique quilts and her love of antique quilts and love of the color blue. So, Annette, thank you for being here. So th- thank you so much for having me. I was really glad it. that... I was really glad we got to talk uh, at the trade show. So you, uh, you and I ran into each other. We're like, yay. Yes, yes. many times. <laughs> many times, yeah. Yes. So how did you discover quilt making? When was the first time you thought that you would make a quilt? Uh, when, when my children were younger, I used to do smocking and sewing for them. And after they outgrew it, I still needed something to do with my hands. I love handwork. So a friend of mine suggested that I uh, piece a quilt and then hand quilt it. And mm-hmm. so I took my first class. I made a Lone Star of all things as my first quilt and then quilted it and just fell in love with it. And the rest is history. <laughs> I just did, love it. Did your friend ever tell you, you know, later you weren't supposed to do a Lone Star first? That <laughs> she, she probably did. But, you know, after you've done it, uh, you know, you what what do you do afterwards? I, I think that I took that class because it was the next one up, and yes. I was ready to go. So. <laughs> so I know so many people. It's like if you don't know and you already sew, it's uh-huh. not actually scary. That's that's true. That's true. Knowing to sew helps a lot when you start quilting. I think one of the most important things that you do learn when you do start piecing is seam allowances now how important that is but after that it's basic sewing so mm-hmm. so i always say it's easier than set in sleeves in a in an outfit oh, yeah. so uh... most most definitely yeah most definitely yes <laughs> so you um you used to you know make your you know, you made the quilts but how did you start getting into these the love of antiques was that right away that you loved antique quilts I I think I've always loved antiques and always loved antique quilts. I got into making the reproductions when I was invited to join a group of ladies at the quilt shop where I worked, which we are now known as the 19th Century Patchwork Divas, which I do not like that name, but was not given (laughs) a choice. uh, But basically what we do is we find an antique quilt and we try to reproduce it. We set up block exchanges and and there's lots of rules and you need to make sure that you've got the right um, time frame in fabrics, the right colors, the right prints. But we try, it's, it's somewhat of a game. It's like a puzzle trying to reproduce the original quilt as best we can. We, we just love doing that. It's, it's, it's quite the challenge. That, you know, I've had Betsy Chechen on, and so yes. she's talked a little bit about the group. Um, and it, it you're kind of unique, uh, being that some of you now are published and, you know, are in the business, and then you still have this sort of, you still obsessively do this, don't you? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Two or three years, usually. We usually get together once a year, usually around Christmas time, and then we'll decide what block exchanges we want to do for the year and yeah. uh, just go from there. So, yeah. yes, it's, it is obsessive. That's a good word <laughs> to describe it, yes. 
Now, what made you um, start to think about doing your book called True Blue Quilts? What what was going on with you that you thought, you know, I think this should go in a book? Well, uh, again, uh, blue is one of my favorite colors, and I do know that a lot of people really like blue quilts. It, it is somewhat of a um, and nobody dislikes blue. It's, it's everybody likes blue. It's very pleasing. And I had already been approved for a uh, a book deal with another company that had gone out of business. CNT bought them, and mm-hmm. uh, so I just stuck with that and uh, worked with CNT on this on this first book. Um, I don't know. I just I just always have loved blue and have loved reproduction quilts. And I thought that since so many. And there's also different blues as you go through the the entire century, as you move from early, middle to late. And I thought it would be interesting to do a book that had some history in it, but not a lot. I am certainly not an expert. I, I'm, I'm not an expert at all. So I just thought that maybe someone would want just a little bit of information about the different blues and then show you what they might look like in a quilt. Yeah, and I love that you have swatches because uh, – I know when I first started quilting, I saw reproduction fabrics and I thought, well, that just that some of that just looks pretty modern, like an ombre stripe. You know, it's like it it doesn't look old. (laughs) So do you collect antiques yourself, antique quilts? I do have a collection of blue and white antique mm-hmm. antique blue blue and white quilts uh towards the end of the century i, I enjoy collecting those because that, that's my favorite the blue and white the uh indigos and then the shirtings that go along with them i do have uh maybe 10 to 12 and i every time i go to market i try to seek out and add maybe one more to the uh, to the collection but i do enjoy <laughs> i do enjoy finding them so yeah it's the hunt i think you like it is the, the hunt. hunt yes of course <laughs> Of course, don't we all? Yes, of course. Yeah, that's why that's why you'll hunt for fabric too. It's like I yeah, have exactly. that exact right thing. Um, mm-hmm. So tell me, can you just give me maybe one interesting fact about um, antique blue fabrics? Um, antique blue fabrics uh, or the reproductions. Uh, I, I think that what most people might find interesting about the antique blues is there are different ones. And as you go through the century, when you start out early blues, they're they're what's called a Prussian blue, and it's a very turquoisey blue. Mm-hmm. And you you would probably look at it and go, well, that looks like a very modern, you know, turquoise. That looks like a modern color, but yet it was a very stable and uh, very valuable color at that time. Uh, a lot of chintzes were used with the Prussian blues, and then as you get into the middle century, middle of the century. You turn to more, you get into the indigos, although indigos were very popular. That would be something interesting. Indigo, you will find throughout the entire century. That is something. It was one of the very first really stable blue dyes, and people could grow it here in the United States and not have to worry about trying to get it from overseas. And uh, it was, like I said, very stable, very color fast, and women Mm -hmm. just loved using the indigos. So, oh, so, so you could oh, less so there's it, there, are they harder than to date because of that? It can be yes. If if you have an indigo colored antique quilt or a, a fabric in there, there's other clues that you can look at, such as the size of the print, um, mm-hmm. uh, the, the the colors in the prints. There are 
there are clues in the calico that will allow you to look at that color and then say, I understand it's an indigo, and it could be throughout the entire century. But because it has this little bitty um, little bitty print and it's mm-hmm. mostly blue and white, it's probably going to be an indigo from the latter part of the century or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. Neat. Yeah. So mm-hmm. like being a detective. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I know. I love that part about it. Yes. Well, what I found that about your book that I was really fascinated with is, I mean, this is not a book on blue and white quilts. This is a book on blue quilts. So you yes. have, um, you know, these reproductions in here that are done with tans and green even. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Are they sort of true to what was that the time periods? Yes, I did try to do that. A lot of the quilts in the book are either quilts that I own and I reproduced or they're quilts that I found in books and online that I do know that uh, I do know their time frames. Mm-hmm. And so when I was reproducing quilts, antique quilts, there were many other colors that you would see with blue. You would, and and that that bright green or what we now uh, choose to call poison green. That mm-hmm. was you usually saw that in the latter part of the century. Pink, the uh, double pinks were very popular and used also paired with blues a lot, especially indigos. And then, of course, brown. You're going to find brown throughout the whole century, too, and and brown always looks good with blue. So, yeah, Yeah, that's your question. Yeah, they're really, really fabulous, and I love that some of them are scrappy and some of them are not so scrappy. I mean, they might have a controlled base color, and then the blues were all scrappy. That That must have been fun to put together. It was a lot of fun, and and I have, as I'm sure you do, you have yardage of fabric, and then you have scraps. You have little pieces, and you have mm-hmm. your fabrics that you absolutely love, and you hate. You, I just can't cut into. I just can't cut right. this up yet. And it gave me an opportunity to use some of the fabrics that I absolutely loved, and had been somewhat hoarding them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was say, oh, I'm going to use this in this book in this quilt for this book and then I will always have it because it will right be there right on the pages so I'll always be able to see it but it did give me an opportunity to use up a lot of scraps and use up a lot of my favorite blues yeah nice so mm-hmm. uh this is called true blue quilts is the name of the book uh so uh, Annette you are doing the American Patrick and Quilting Magazine's UFO challenge this year yeah. how's it going yeah. It's going fabulously. Each month when I finish up the UFO, I always think, well, that didn't take any time at all. Why didn't, why didn't I do that a long time ago? But by the fact, I love a challenge, and if I've got a challenge and it says you have to do this this month, even though it's somewhat brought on by myself, I love it because I am getting so many of my UFOs, although I've already started a list of UFOs for next year. <laughs> That's pretty sad, isn't it? Oh my goodness! They just they multiply. I'm they sure. Do. I, I yes, don't know do. how that happens. What is your latest UFO you finished? Well, the one I have for this month, I have not finished. Last month was a Halloween panel mm-hmm. and a little uh, sort of a little banner, flat flags and on a banner uh, that mm-hmm. I had bought at a fabric shop several years ago. I got that one. It's ready for Halloween. It's being quilted as we speak. Uh, the one for this month is one I'll, is a smaller quilt, but it's one that I will hand quilt. Uh, made a block exchange, made several years ago. Cute little basket quilt. Just never finished it. I'll get it I all know. Quilted, so. 
we there's so much fun stuff to do that mm-hmm. uh and sometimes I think starting is more fun than finishing. I don't know why I just want to start <laughs> new stuff <laughs> well i think I think you're probably right too, although there is such great satisfaction when you've got it on a list and you finished it and you put a big check by it done yes and move on <laughs> yes, I love that I love that feeling so. Now, you also write about the things that you're doing. What is the name of your website? Uh, it's called PetiteQuilts.com or www.PetiteQuilts. Uh, it's a, I, started it, I started it last year. It's not even, I've not even been doing it a year, but I truly I love doing it. Sometimes I wonder why people really want to know what I'm doing. <laughs> I, I don't even know why, but I've gotten a very good response, and it's, it's growing. So I, I've, I'm reaching out to several, a lot of people with that, and it's a lot of fun to write. And you're also on Instagram. Instagram, yes. I post up to Instagram. I usually try and do something once a day. Um, something, anything, just kind of to keep touch with people and and, and put out things that I've done, whether it's quilts or whether it's um, grandkids, gardening, photography, Mm -hmm. anything that I might have been working on that day that I thought someone might be interested in seeing. So, yes. Now, you told me you have a tip for photography because, you know, now that you're, you know, writing and taking these, you know, showing pictures, you Mm -hmm. you need to put a little thought into it. (laughs) That is true. Staging. Staging is so important when you're when you're photographing even just uh, anything to show on Instagram or to show anywhere. I love working with natural light and I've on my camera and on my phone, actually, too, I've completely turned off the flash. Just I think that. Anything in natural light looks so much better. The the uh, shadows and, and, and the colors and everything just looks so much prettier. And I also have a little Etsy shop where I sell little quilts. It's called Petite Quilts also. And the, the photograph sells the quilt most of the time. So, mm-hmm. uh, so good photographs using natural light. Yes, it's a good thing. And you yes. know, I've, people, you can open like your front door and just like put stuff in front of the door to get mm-hmm. light coming oh, sure. in. You know, mm-hmm. if you don't have sure. a window available where you want to be, you know, bring open the doors. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's true. That is true. My my favorite place to photograph things is in my uh, dining room. We don't do a lot of eating there, but we do do a lot, I do a lot of photographing there. But it has a wonderful southern exposure, and the light is just so soft and wonderful almost all day long. And I'll just use the natural light coming in there. Southern exposure is is wonderful if you can get it. Well, Annette, this has been a lot of fun. Um, your book is gorgeous. Thank you for joining me. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been my pleasure and an honor, too. Thank you. Looking for fresh, simple, and fun projects and ideas? Check out the current issue of Quilts and More magazine at your local quilt shop or on newsstands. Join American Patchwork and Quilting on Facebook for daily quilting inspiration, tips, giveaways, and more. Find us at facebook.com backslash APQ magazine. This quilting tip brought to you by Moda Fabrics. Visit modafabrics.com or your local quilt shop to see the latest fabric collections. An empty toilet paper roll makes it easy to store prepared binding. When you're ready to use, simply slip the roll onto the cone thread holder on your sewing machine to unroll your binding easily. See what other quilters are up to on the American Patchwork and Quilting page on Facebook. Simply go to Facebook.com and search for APQ Magazine.
Welcome back to American Patchwork and Quilting's talk show. I'm your host, Pat Sloan. And one of the best parts about my job is finding creative people. And I get uh, such joy out of meeting uh, people who are sort of fearless. And we, uh, you know, they jump in and they actually take something maybe that's been around a very long time and put a different spin on it, a different way of looking at it. Uh, Matthew Boudreaux um, of Mr. Domestic is that kind of a of a, of a maker. Um, Matthew is not afraid of of anything really. So Matthew, thanks for being here. Oh my goodness, thanks for having me, Pat. I'm so stoked to chat with you. <laughs> I know we, <laughs> you know. I think I have to. I think I stalk your your posts all the time. I'm sure you stalk mine because that's the way we oh are, God, right? Yes. You're amazing. I stalk you all the time. I'm admittedly <laughs> a Pat Sloan stalker. I'm the first to admit it. <laughs> <laughs> you are too funny. So tell me, you know, Matthew, you do a lot of different things. You have a very creative mind. Um, you also right. have um, you have a full time job, and you have a you have a family, and you have a little girl, uh, and so. You know, you're a very busy fella. Um, right. What What is it that makes it easy for you? Okay, because not everybody can have that kind of high energy you have. What makes it easy for right. you to sort of jump in? Um, I've always been that way, Pat, like since I can remember. And um, I'm the type of person that I'm either like full cylinders or like I'm totally checked out. And like I choose <laughs> to like engage in life. And so it's like um, – I've just learned that I'm more satisfied as a human, and this is going to get a little, like, philosophical, but I'm more satisfied if I'm, like, pushing all aspects of myself as far as it can go. Um, so it's like if I push my right brain very hard, I have to push my left brain very hard because it, it creates balance. And um, if I don't have that kind of, like, high octane in all facets of my life, then it feels like there's a void. So it's almost like I have to do that in order to keep myself balanced, if not then like... I don't know what's going to happen. I'm afraid. I'm not going to. I'm not going to attempt it. <laughs> well, it's like if there's, <laughs> if you have five seconds, you're going to fill it. It's. I know. am. That's just. That, yeah. That, so it's. I'm either like that, or I'm totally like disengaged and like zoning out watching Netflix. So it's one or the yes. other. Is my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's the recharge button. You have to go uh-huh. sit in front of the, a movie, um, or just sit and the movie plays, but you know you're not paying attention, right? That's right. Right. Or I'm like sitting there doing EPP. So like I'm half paying attention and I'm sewing at the same time. That's right. <laughs> so when I first <laughs> saw your work, um, it, I, the Orfield people wrote me, this is how I saw your work. And they said, have you seen Matthew's, um, you know, weaving? Uh, so, you, right. you know, and when you did our, your block for the Orfield Designer of the Month um, this, this year, you did a, a patchwork weaving. But how did, did you, you know, was the weaving sort of your your stepping stone into working with quilting, the quilting people? I mean, kind of. It's like I wasn't, I wasn't really, like, I'm very, like, my, the way I exist is I'm very stream of consciousness, like, in motion. It's like I just, I go with the flow of my life. And, like, I started sewing, like, clothes. And then part of how I learned to construct, like, clothes was, like, getting a bunch of vintage stuff or older stuff or some clothes that I'll never, ever fit into. And, like, I would take a seam ripper and I would pick it apart, and I did that to a whole bunch of jeans. And then I had, like, all of these jeans. I was like, let me make a quilt. I'd never made a quilt before. I was like, let me make, like, a denim quilt out of it. So I did that, and I was really all about upcycling, and I had some scraps left over. 
And I remembered this pin on my, my Pinterest board that I had pinned about weaving denim. And I was like, ooh, let me try that. And it was like obnoxious and it hurt my fingers and it took like hours and hours. But I fell in love. And one of my friends, Tara, had invented um, the wefty needle at the same time that I started weaving. And mm-hmm. so like there was this like perfect tool that allowed me to like fully explore this new things that I, I'd never known about fabric weaving. And so I just like pushed it and pushed it and pushed it. And um, it taught me a lot about quilting because to me, since I had only sewn like clothes and I used to model. And so like I have a fashion background and understand that it's like, you just take a couple of fabrics and you put them together and you know when it matches. Right. But like with quilting, mm-hmm. it's like you put a lot of fabrics together. So that was like intimidating to me <laughs> and to know like where it goes and stuff. I was like, ah, I was, I was always scared, but like with fabric weaving, it's like essentially I could just pick like a bundle or like those fabrics look mm-hmm. cute together. And I wouldn't have to think about like the layout. And mm-hmm. um, part of what I liked about fabric weaving is very, um, then like I don't know what it's going to look like in the end whenever I do it and I just like start it and then it's like the magic of this thing called fabric weaving would do the layout for me of all of the colors mm-hmm. and then once I did that um a number of times and like could visualize like the play of different fabrics and the play of colors like on a small scale what a quilt would look like then I was mm-hmm. like hey let me translate that into quilt so I would suggest anyone who's intimidated by like doing a layout on your own or understanding how the relationships between fabrics and, and quilts to dabble with fabric weaving because it's a lot less fabric if you mess up <laughs> and then you can always like pull it out. <laughs> but then just, you can see it like on a small scale really quick what it could look like. And so um, yeah. that's how I got into it. And then I got into quilting and then and I posted everything on Instagram and, um, and it's like this whole beautiful world like, Around me. It's addictive Instagram it. because you have I, to uh, I, go see what everybody's making, and then you have to show everybody what you're making. So it's a all right. it's a big party. Right, <laughs> it's, a, it's a huge party. It's a big old party on Instagram, and it's like there's yeah. so much inspiration, right? Like mm-hmm. there's so many things I want to make. I don't have time. Originally, thought like whenever, I, <laughs> like whenever I started, I thought because it's like all oh, this is kind of new to me. I just started sewing like four years ago, and I started quilting like mm-hmm. two years ago. I thought that if I could just, like, finish my list of projects that I wanted to do, that I could take a break. And I realized, <laughs> <laughs> like, I realized that list, it just grows. It never, like, goes away. And so it's like I started this pace of, like, completing, like, a million projects in a month that um, I don't know how to slow down from that since I started. But I learned that, like, the list never goes away. You just have to keep going. <laughs> I know, you just have to sew faster, Matthew. That's what happens, sew <laughs> faster. Okay, I'm so sorry. you like, you know, listening to you and, and you know, the talk about the weaving, you're now doing English paper piecing, which is also very hands-on and very yes. small and a little yes. bit precise. Um, mm. How? What is What part of that English paper piecing feeds your creativity is it the fabric picking is it the precision is it that folding everything over what is it that makes you you really love it because you're doing a sew along with it and all kinds of stuff i am i am and i have a um this is a scoop with you i have a kit coming out with um the diy addict like Giuseppe has one now but i have a kit coming out with them that's launching in september like i'm obsessed with it and um 
<laughs> what I love about it is it's kind of like with fabric weaving, how I don't know what it's going to look like in the end. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. with EPP, I kind of have an idea, but it forces me to like look at fabric in a different way. To look for like pattern repetition and how I can use that. Or if I turn a shape a certain way, what that's going to look like if I duplicate it in a, in a small quilt. Um, and that's just so interesting. It's different than like traditional quilt blocks um, mm-hmm. or sewing just with the way that I'm able to play with the fabric. And, like, Helena, I have my daughter, she's four, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, I was spending a little bit too much time in my sewing room, and she was uh-huh. salty about it, and she was like, yeah. and, like, <laughs> with English paper piecing, I can take it to the living room, and she can snuggle on me while I'm doing it, and I don't feel like mm-hmm. I'm neglecting her. So, like, she was kind of instrumental in me um, picking it up, too. <laughs> Right. And, you know, I think that that's no different than, you know, like a lot of people that you have, you know, you can take this handwork and be with your family or if you're Mm -hmm. like taking, you're waiting somewhere, if you're waiting at an airport or you're waiting at an appointment, you can get it out and do that. Exactly. Like, that's what I do. Like, I travel a lot for work and I'm on an airplane, like for my day job. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I'm getting a lot of my sewing done or I went to, um, the beach my husband was fishing like i'm not interested in that but i brought some epp yeah. with me and i sat along the beach and i epp it's great and it's portable mm-hmm. yeah and then you could just be with people and you don't have to have mm-hmm. that machine running um and the okay so now you also have started some videos what are you doing on your video channel on youtube my youtube channel it's the mr domestic youtube channel spelled out m-i-s-c-r so far it um the, e- the EPP party, which I'm doing right now with Pat Bravo that's going on, it's like in the middle. That was the catalyst of me getting started on doing my videos. I always wanted to do it, but I was kind of scared of, like, the trolls out there, and I wasn't, I don't know, they just oh. were a barrier to me getting started. <laughs> so, uh, so I used this as a way for me to get started. And um, mm-hmm. so now all of my videos are, like, different components of English paper piecing. Like, if you're um, – a neophyte to ETP and you wanted to learn how to, you could go to my YouTube channel from start to finish. You could learn um, how to do it. And then I have plans to do a series on um, fabric weaving, like all the steps of that. And I'm going to have some projects there. I'm going to do it on, um, I'll probably throw some garment stuff in there. Just as I learn stuff, like Mm -hmm. I've always done tutorials um, on my blog. I always do them. If I learn something, I want to share it or I'll do like a little video on my Instagram. This is like an, an extension of that, like a more formal way for mm-hmm. me to like pay it forward. Cause for me, it's like when I get jazzed about learning something, I assume everyone else will get jazzed about it. So I want to <laughs> share it. So whatever I learn along this crazy journey of Mr. Domestic, I'm going to share it on my YouTube channel and hopefully people will dig it. The feedback's yeah. been super positive so far. So I'm loving it. So has your daughter, um, shown any interest we have about two minutes uh has she shown any interest in the fabric or the sewing yes she has her own little sewing machine and like everyone knows her i go to fabric depot it's my my lqs and i go there and Mm -hmm. like everyone knows her and like she goes there and spends more money than i do now (laughs) yeah like like it's crazy and she's gonna have like me and her are both gonna have like thread collections with orifil coming out in the future like helena is gonna have one so it's like it's crazy how she talks about she wants to like when she grows up 
she wants to sew, and then she wants uh-huh. to go tell doctors about medicine because that's what I do for my job. So right. that's what, in her mind, my job is those two things together. Um, okay. So yeah, it's really, <laughs> it's really cool. <laughs> it's really I cool know. that she's interested well, in That's it. exactly what you do, Matthew. Do you know that? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I love it. I love it. <laughs> my oh, <that's>, baby. <laughs> that is so funny. Yeah, I mean, that's young. You know, she's four, so that's really nice that she's yeah. She gets behind her sewing machine, and right now it's like my when I'm trying to get her to focus on because I know she's young is just like keeping her eye on the needle, like that, like just paying attention to it. And mm-hmm. um, so far, she's getting better. And next, I'm going to focus on straight lines, but she's wanting to do it. <laughs> I'm not pushing her, so it's like, yeah, yeah. As long as there's interest, you know, then you know, right. the short attention span, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Okay, Dad, I'm done. That's like. <laughs> uh, she's like, no more. I'm done. I'm going to watch uh, what Octonauts. She's watching Octonauts. She's going to go watch that. I'm like, okay, lady, bye. <laughs> yeah, bye. Oh, well, Matthew, this has been uh, so much fun. Uh, where, what is your current thing people could f- sort of get involved with? I mean, is it is it the EPP party? Yeah, it's the EPP party. Um, okay. Right now, I know that I'm going to have a. Um, like Tara, she's the Lefty Needle Girl. She and I are going to do a, an ornament along starting in October, where each okay. week we're going to have a new ornament that we're going to share with people. So either or, I've always got something going on. So just come find me and play along. Okay. Thank you, Matthew. This has been wonderful. Love you, Pat. Okay. <laughs> Love you, too. This... <laughs> Visit Matthew at Mr. Domestic, and it's spelled out M-I-S-T-E-R. Uh, this is Pat Sloan for American Patchwork and Quilting's talk show. You visit allpeoplequilt.com online. Uh, visit Facebook. See the Facebook Lives. And just like Annette Plogg, join in for the UFO Challenge. I am behind on my UFO challenges. That's a true confession. But I will, I will work on one in August. See you next week. Remember to visit allpeoplequilt.com for more information on topics from today's show, as well as how-to videos, free printable patterns, and additional tips and techniques. Thanks for listening. And thanks for listening. Keep in touch. American Patchwork and Quilting is on Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram at All People Quilt. Email us at apqpodcast at meredith.com. Resources for this week can be found at allpeoplequilt.com slash podcast. And if you love the American Patchwork and Quilting podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app for free. And don't forget to rate and review the show. It helps other quilters find us. Have a creative week.